Where I see my biggest impact is with the students that I teach every day because I have the flexibility and capability in my senior product development capstone to hopefully challenge their ideas about design, challenge their ideas about ableism, challenge their ideas about gender identity, you know, on and on and on and on. And so we have um, conversations every day in the classroom. Our senior capstone project is centered around adaptive apparel. So I go in saying, whatever you wanted to design and whatever you wanted to showcase coming into this class, we're gonna do that, but we're also gonna make sure that we're making it inclusive. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today we're lucky enough to have a friend and colleague from the Department of Design and Merchandising, Dr. Kristen Morris. Kristen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's such a wonderful opportunity. Well, we're delighted and we're looking forward to a conversation. We, of course, had a chance to get to know one another a little bit over the last few years and I look forward to hearing some surprises today. So (laughs) I'll try my best. It's it's always fun to to learn a little bit more. And and as we were just talking about it, we we remind our our listeners, we want to get to know you as a scholar, of course, but, but there's all of us are so much more than our CVs, right? right? We're much more than what we do in the lab or the classroom. So we'll do a little bit of both. So we want to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about sort of the big problems or big ideas that that inform your research as a scholar here at CSU. Yeah, so um, my background is in apparel design and product development. And um, the thing that really lights my fire these past few years is working on big apparel design solutions that are more inclusive of a greater variety of users. Mm -hmm. And so specifically, I've been honing in on um, designing for the disability community and making sure that the apparel products that we are producing um, doesn't at least exclude people from using, enjoying, wearing them. So that's my my passion point these days is um, we call that adaptive apparel. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that interest emerged? Where, where did it come from? Uh, that's a great question. You know, some people who get into this line of work, my other colleagues at different universities, they'll often have like a personal familial story that they share. I have thought on this a lot. And um, I do recall there was one time when I was young and um, my dad and grandmother and I, we were all out at... Um, Perkins, probably mm-hmm, Perkins, <laughs> having a, having dinner. And, um, you know, my grandma, she had to wear uh, oxygen, right? So she always had to like bring around kind of a heavy pack. And I do recall once my dad being like, you know, you should really design something for that, you know, and, and just being like giving a specific like point or, you know, direction for design. Sure. And so, I mean, over the years that I wouldn't say that was like what launched me into this path, but it's, you know, all of the things we do kind of circle back on each other. And so I can pinpoint that as being like a moment of being like, I could use my skills and abilities to actually help, you know, with design. So other than that, um, I've just met some pretty amazing people along the way, both collaborators and people in the community that have, um, you know, really inspired me and and, um, basically fill my well to move forward um, in this area. 
That's great. Yeah. Uh, a follow-on again, if I yeah. may. When we think about designing for individuals with disabilities, talk to us a little bit about are we talking about the, the cut, the traditional things we're thinking about? Yeah. Are we talking about the fabrics, some characteristics of the fabrics? Yeah, so it depends on the individuals that you know we're working with at that given time. But um, a lot of it has to do with um, being able to put on and take off the garments more easily to be able to maintain um, independence and dressing longer. And so that can be things as simple as relocating different closures, trying a different closure instead of buttons. Maybe we try zippers or magnets. And then it does go into the level of um, even the fabrics that we use can either cause friction or reduce friction so we can make sure that we can, um, you know, take things on and put things off easier um, than maybe a garment does, that doesn't have the same considerations. And then if you want to get really nerdy about it. Yes, I guess. <laughs> That's the point of the podcast. Okay, so, Let's do it. So we, um, you know, we have a model that we share in the apparel field, and I just introduced it to my undergraduates the other day in class, and it's called the functional expressive and aesthetic needs model. And so the two things that we just talked about, like kind of features and fabrics fall under function. But when we design, um, hopefully when we design apparel products, we're also considering people's aesthetic needs. So how you want to look, you know, the colors that you like, the graphic prints that you wear. And then the expressive needs are like what I'm communicating about myself to you in the clothing that I wear. So a good designer would address kind of those functional needs. And that's kind of a, you know, a natural progression when you think about design for disability is the functional part of it. But um, the aesthetics and the expressiveness are equal in kind of that kind of tripart um, way to address design. So we very much so emphasize um, in our labs and then in the classroom and in my um, research, you know, making sure that it's on trend with the current, you know, garments that we see out there and ready to wear retail environments and then we very much so make sure that it is communicating you know like positive aspects to um, others about the person that's wearing it can i give an example yes i was just about to ask yes i saw it in your eyes yeah Yeah. so um where i've been doing a lot of work is um kind of the crossover between physical activity and disability so this means um designing activewear garments that are intended for um let's say people with differences in in mobility and so in these in these cases one aspect of my research is design output And so what I try really hard to do is to make sure that we are making kind of, you know, positive claims that challenge people's notion about disability. So, you know, oftentimes people might think, oh, because I have a mobility difference, I might not be, you know, capable of participating in XYZ sport. And that's not the case at all. So some of the design work that I do, it's um, as functional as activewear, as it is beautiful, as it is addressing some of the other needs. And that's explicitly intentionally because you know i want to make the the statement and challenge people's notions of what people with mobility differences cognitive differences um can and cannot do in this world Mm. that's That's powerful yeah activewear love it yeah so so products like this are already in the market i think i heard you hint right so they, they can be found yes and of course, you know, when we think retail anymore, you're usually not going in the door. We're logging yeah. on somewhere, right? But so, so are they easy to find? Uh, I mean, not exactly. And so um, when we talk about adaptive apparel, there will always be 
a subset of consumers that need custom design clothing because it's basically not appropriate to try to, you know, do even like mass market or adaptive sure. products. Yeah. Um, so if you think about kind of the next tier down in that adaptive space, there are more and more on the market. Um, I would say we've seen kind of an uptick in um, design in the space in, around 2015. Mm-hmm. Big player, um, Tommy Hilfiger, came out with a Tommy Adaptive line, and they were one of the first. Target was actually kind of the first in their kids' cat and jack line. But when Tommy Adaptive came on, it was like cool Tommy preppy, you know, and it was made for adults. Mm-hmm. So in 2015... After they kind of launched in, um, other retailers were kind of, other brands were kind of like, oh, maybe we can be competitive in this space. Maybe there are people out there who need it. Yeah. So so there's always been some mom and pop shops and, of course, online, you know, um, purchasing garments and being able to find people's websites online has connected people more than it ever has before. But as far as, like, people take, like, manufacturers taking it seriously in our field, it was around 2015 is when we started to see an uptick in the space. And since then, um, you know, I wish I could say like, there are, there are, there are more and more brands that are um, coming on. Um, I just wish there were more that were focused on adults or focused on like sport or focused on this, that, and the other. So we're definitely seeing like huge strides in this area, but there could be more, of course, and that's what we kind of focus on in my research and in the, you know, graduate students that I work with. In the spirit of being a nerd, I have one more yeah. question. Yeah. So, so are there special needs or interests for individuals with visual disabilities? Yeah, we did. This was before I was at CSU when I was a professor at Missouri. We did um, a research study with um, women who identified as having visual impairments. And so, yeah, the the visual component of it is obviously very powerful and can be designed too as well. Um, There was some really fascinating, um, you know, kind of preliminary information that came out of our interviews and focus groups. And so things like being able to coordinate colors, being able to know, um, you know, that your outfit looks put together without either not being able to see full range of colors or not being able to see at all. And then it even went down to things like how can we make it easier to launder? Um, So people who identify with visual impairments, um, it's, you know, it's you don't have to necessarily iron your shirt as much or, you know, have to iron your slacks as much to make make sure you're looking presentable. So it's it's from all perspectives, from like the the visual, how I'm presenting myself all the way down to kind of those like care you know things that you have to really think about so all of that can be designed for um with different fabrics and textile um finishes that we can add to it and then i've had a few students um they they're interested in this area too they explore things like 3d printing braille tags that can go onto the inside of the garment so it says like navy blue blazer you know with i don't know like a detail on the sleeve and so Uh you can kind of see it or feel it um, and read it and then make sure it coordinates with the bottom. Wow, that is so but cool. But I have to say, heavy. not everybody knows Braille. So yeah. depending on where, um, what time of life, like you may have, you know, lost your vision. Braille, from what I understand, is a whole new language. And so some people pick up Braille, others don't. And so it's not only just like, oh, Braille's the answer, but finding other intuitive ways to communicate what your dress looks like as you're dressing. 
That's awesome. You know, we use the word flourishing a lot, right? And yeah. We take it seriously. This is a great example of, of you know, the, the rest of the work across the college that attends to allowing people to flourish. Absolutely. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I want to I want to uh, talk about your journey, right? Okay. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about it. You know, again, uh, early influences. You, of course, you shared a story about your yeah. dad and your grandmother, but um, the, the you know the educational influences, yeah. mentors, the the pathway. I don't know if you all know this, but I am a two-time CSU alumni. Yeah, <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I had. Um, so I know. Um, it's in, I think it's kind of an interesting story, actually, because I hope it speaks to, you know, listeners who are maybe in the same position that I was. Um, so I grew up in a rural community in northeastern Colorado. And, are we um, allowed to say where? Yeah, Fort Morgan. It could be where most of our <laughs> listeners will come from yeah. this season. Fort Morgan, Colorado. <laughs> and, um, and so I came to CSU initially because it was the only state university that offered a uh, fashion design program. Mm -hmm. um, there were private schools um, in the Denver area at the time. And I wanted explicitly to come to a four-year institution. So if this uh, fashion thing didn't work out for me, you know, I would have a well-rounded educational background to be able to kind of lean on. So I came to CSU. I got accepted into the apparel design side of the program. And um, yeah, I had phenomenal instructors along the way. So many of whom have left CSU or, or are retired now, but um, Diane Sparks was a huge oh, influence sure. yeah. in yeah. my life. And yeah. then Yolanda Sanders uh -huh. before she left mm -hmm. and Ajoy Sarkar. Mm -hmm. So I came and I, you know, learned and I, you know, ate everything up and I was pretty active at CSU as an undergraduate. So I had like a phenomenal experience here. That's great. Then when my advisor at the time, Ajoy, he was asking, you know, have you thought about doing a master's degree in graduate school? I was like, no, I am not doing that. I mean, I'm done. I am out. You know, like I just hit that moment of like, I'm ready to see what the world has to offer. Gotcha. Um, and so I um, graduated and my first job out of college was a graphic design position of sporting goods company down in Denver. So it was a fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trained in graphic design, right? And probably people who are would cringe at the story. But, um, you know, I did like imprint graphics. I had a background a little bit in knowing how to do work in embroidery machine from my high school work and so you know I did all of the local high school sports or the you know club football soccer whatever tournaments were happening and um at that job I met a woman who was had an apparel business and so I was over here doing art for her for her products but she and I got to chatting and um, she learned that I had an apparel background. And so she said to me, she said, hey, you know, we need a designer. We're super small business. You know, can can I hire as freelance? And I was like, oh, yeah, I could I could do that. <laughs> like, yeah. Sure. Bring it on. And so I started working with her. Her company still exists today. It, was, it is called Born Fit. But she at that time was doing maternity activewear. So, of course, that I guess is another kind of seminal story of how I got interested in like niche markets. Right. So again, designing for like a very specific problem. So, you know, activewear that's comfortable while your body is changing very rapidly um, as you are pregnant. And then 
transitioning after pregnancy into, you know, if you so desire, getting back into your pre-pregnancy body um, conditions. So, I mean, I kept on working with her for seven years. Wow. So I got bored. <laughs> I got bored at um, at the sporting goods company. Like I got promoted fairly quickly, and I just am a person that needs that next goal to work towards. And um, and so my parents at the time were like, you know, you should think about going back to grad school. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then one Still day, yeah, no, one day I was like, you know what, I should think about going back to grad school. <laughs> just hear the audible eye rolls you know it had to be my idea of course so I came back to CSU and got my master's and then from here um, I had amazing people that pushed me to do things that I never thought I was capable of and one of those was applying to Cornell University for my PhD like I never would have thought that I would be in that you know like I don't know, group of people that could get there. And so they wrote me apparently really great letters of recommendation. That's great. That's that's awesome. And and yeah, and so then I went master's to PhD and it's a four-year program. So I was out in Ithaca at Cornell for four years and met amazing people, um, trained under Susan Ashton, who's considered the kind of preeminent um, scholar when it comes to 3D body scanning. So I was able to work with her and learn that Mm -hmm. before... Um, leaving. And then um, my first academic position was at the University of Missouri. So I was there for four years. And then a position opened up here at CSU. And I, I was, should I do it? Should I not? I was afraid to tell my my partner, um, Chad, if he uh, about the open position, because I was really nervous that I wouldn't get it. And it would just be like heartbreak all around. <laughs> Um, but he's, you know, very supportive in that capacity too. And so we applied for the position and interviewed and the rest is history. Four years, I think now. And you blink your eyes. Just got 10 years. (laughs) That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. That's, it's super fun and it's a huge relief, honestly. So yeah, I'm sure. Share just a little bit more about your memories of Cornell. And I I ask somewhat Mm -hmm. pointedly, I I grew Mm -hmm. up in upstate New York and I just, Bumped into an old friend and colleague who reminded me that he, he spent some time at Cornell as yeah. well. And, and he referred to it as the place where the sunshine goes to die. Yeah. <laughs> right? so. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I um, I mean, I grew up here in Colorado, right? Yeah. So it's been I'm quite a shock for you. Right? Used yes. to, yes. Like the majority of the days having at least some kind of sunshine. And then um, in Ithaca, the, you know, the day that I cut, it kind of sunk in for me was we were watching the local news and they said, um, some, so we use like partly cloudy. They use the opposite out there. Like you might have a little bit of sunshine <laughs> today, but by and large it's going to be cloudy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I it is in that capacity, the winters, it's kind of funny because it's a small town. So um, in the wintertime, like or when the spring when springtime comes um basically there's a sense of camaraderie like we survived another winter (laughs) but the summers are beautiful too so it's so lush and green and you know every day is kind of like cool at night and yeah i mean there's lots of outdoor things to do you could we lived a little bit out of town but you could literally go like a half mile and be on this trail network that's just like going through the gorges and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people comparatively there um, as compared to here so you would run into maybe one or two people at most on these trails so yeah it was really phenomenal 
So you spent some time at Missouri. We did, yeah. And then um, somehow the opportunity at CSU came across your radar screen. Were you looking or did a colleague say, hey, or? Through our professional organization, um, most of the open positions get emailed out. Um, That's a feature that you can use. So it came across and I had like butterflies in my stomach. I was like, oh, this might be the opportunity that we're waiting for. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it got distributed to... The professional network mm-hmm. and um i was it's such a bittersweet thing right because the people that i met there um one person in particular carrie mcbee black she started me down this adaptive apparel path and so i'm eternally grateful for her she had a background in politics and shows she was and trained as an apparel designer Interesting. so she was in the department um basically looking at it from like a policy perspective, you know, mm-hmm. like so how sometimes dress codes and uniforms are conducive to people with disabilities. And mm-hmm. and so she was really interested in policy. And so I was over here kind of in design, kind of making these connections as we went. So it was super bittersweet to leave Mizzou because sure. of the people. Um, but obviously we still collaborate today, every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a conference coming up and so we have um we basically have a long-standing panel at, at the conference that is about adaptive apparel and we bring in like different industry experts and researchers and we promote research that's happening in this area all, among all the universities so so I'm, i learned a lot at mizzou and i'm like grateful for that and i think having had that experience made me a better professor better teacher you know coming into csu so that's awesome and having ne- networks of professional friends is always important and fun too, right? Yeah. It makes you know going to these meetings even exactly. more special. Yeah. To reconnect a little bit. So we we got lucky enough to recruit you out here. <laughs> I guess. And, uh, t- t- Thank talk you. to us. Yeah, I mean that quite sincerely. Yeah. So so a, a day in the life of Kristen Morris and her team. Oh, what, what yeah. does that sort of look like? Yeah. So I guess a day in the life would be. Um, I don't know how candid I can be. <laughs> Crap, what am I teaching you know, today? <laughs> so first and foremost, I mean, I would say, you know, for being perfectly honest, like teaching comes first in, in my worldview. So making sure that I'm, you know, having really great dynamic experience for students inside the classroom. But then um, usually we are trying to, you know, think about either the data set that we've collected and now we need to move forward into publication or are we collecting new data and how to kind of manage all of that at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So right now I'm in both of those stages. Mm -hmm. I have a ton of data that I've been sitting on for quite a while, actually. They're qualitative interviews that focus specifically on like outdoor product design for people with paralysis. So focusing in on a specific disability, um, so a mobility difference. And then um, being here in Colorado, we have such a rich outdoor industry and we have a a ton of brands um, that are producing outdoor apparel product. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity to maybe kind of pitch some of these adaptive or inclusive design ideas to them as they're developing product. And so with that project, it's asked, you know, basically asks about um, it's more than just apparel. It, it asks about like what stops you from being active outdoors from like an environmental standpoint, from like a place, a specific place standpoint hmm. and from a product or gear standpoint. Interesting. Yeah. And I just met a gentleman. Um, I think this is 
going to be interesting to move forward with in natural resources, who is interested in the outdoor economy. I don't know too much about them just yet, but um, I think we could honestly kind of share and collaborate around this data to be able to understand like from a from an environmental place perspective and then from a gear and product perspective as well. So, That's great. Yeah. So working on those ideas, you know, trying to get them out. And then um, with Jen Ogle in the department, we just started um, collecting data, interview data that's centered on people who are non-binary. So um, interviewing people who identify as trans and non-binary about um, positive body image. Sure. Mm. So Jen Ogle is like the positive body image guru, yeah. super well known in our field internationally. And um, she brought me on t- because she's interested from a design perspective. And I have a little bit of research that I did with collaborators at Mizzou and Public Health, specifically uh, health imp- implications of chest binding. Mm. So um, we kind of are collecting new data. This one is a little more theoretical. It's a little more heady, which yeah. is where Jen's the expert. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely like the applied type of person in the project. So it'll be great to be able to combine some theory into eventually like the design that we might come out with or, right. or ideas about what designs could be and look like. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot going on. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so we're at both ends, right? So just need to keep it all moving forward. Good for you. That's great. Yeah. I'm interested in learning more about when you said you're pitching ideas to existing yeah. you know, companies and businesses. Can you speak to anyone that you've collaborated with? Are there any yeah. NDAs or anything like no, that? No, there's not. Um, and I wish I could say more about, mm-hmm. I, I mean, right now, I think like right at the cusp of being able to do that. Okay. So being here um, for four years, you know, in the middle of a pandemic kind of slowed us a little bit, yeah. um, you know, as far as like being able to communicate directly with the brands, they were trying to figure out how to survive on a day-to-day basis. Sure, for sure. But, um, you know, inside the classroom and outside of the classroom, our department has really good relationships with a bunch of these brands. And so um, I think there's opportunity. It's just, I need to harness that opportunity. For sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, yeah. the brands that are listening right now, there's a great like, consulting yeah. opportunity right yeah. here. So. You got it. <laughs> Yeah, of course. No, um, I think it's important, you know, because it's not that the brands have to produce adaptive apparel. They don't have to do what Tommy did per se and develop like a specific adaptive line. That would be awesome. And that would be like first of its kind, particularly in the outdoor apparel market. But they can definitely think about design a little bit differently and make sure that it's more inclusive of, you know, a wider range of users um, instead of doing things that are same old, same old and just not knowing or not being aware that if we just put this a little bit over here, you know, or change this closure out, we would um, be able to have, you know, more people in North Face jackets. Yeah. Hint, hint. Yes. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. I have heard, although I cannot find anything about it online, supposedly they did um, a adaptive rock climbing capsule, but there's no longevity. Like, it's not online or anything yet. So maybe Mm. they are thinking in these spaces, Mm. but I don't know why we can't find it. So, yeah, yeah, little teasers. It would be. For sure. Yeah. 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 So I want to talk a little bit about impact. Yeah. We started with stories about sort of big problems and big ideas. And I'd like you to, you know, give an honest sense of, of the, your assessment of, of your impact 
thus far. Yeah. Don't don't be shy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But, but then also, you know, project. So um, I aspire that, you know, 10, 15 yeah. years down the road, we have moved the conversation in the following ways. Right? Yeah, I think that's happening. So it's hard to say, like, concretely with numbers. Where I see my biggest impact is with the students that I teach every day. Um, because I have the flexibility and capability in my senior product development capstone to hopefully challenge their ideas about design, challenge their ideas about ableism, challenge their ideas about gender identity, you know, on and on and on and on. And so we have um, conversations every day in the classroom. Our senior capstone project is centered around adaptive apparel. So I go in saying, whatever you wanted to design and whatever you wanted to showcase coming into this class, we're going to do that. But we're also going to make sure that we're making it inclusive. And so having kind of those more in-depth um, kind of conversations. And then I've, you know, I what I truly do believe is that in doing that, um, that's, you know, 20 to 25 students at a time every year that are now leaving CSU going into entry-level positions in whatever field, apparel or not. We don't know. Always, It's not always the case. But at least they've had kind of this, you know, immersive experience of like thinking about others in a different way. So assuming that they themselves don't identify as having a disability. So, yeah, so that's probably pretty impactful. And then, you know what I've seen lately? Um, and I think this is a great thing is um, at our professional conference, we have the ability to produce design, uh, which we call uh, creative scholarship here, design scholarship. And so I try to participate in the design conversation by producing actual garments and products and submitting them to this conference every year. So more so than ever before, because I've acted as like a, a, a reviewer, you know, put to get, help put together the catalog, you know, like there's all these things that you do, like as service to the organization, sure. seeing more and more and more emphasis on not only um, functional clothing interests, um, but also in adaptive apparel research. Mm-hmm. And so I would say one of my major contributions in this space is giving uh, other scholars, whether they're graduate students, undergraduates, peers, a framework to do good design-based research and then have the product-based outcomes. So. Every product that I produce has a rich research component behind it, whether it's interviews, focus groups, surveys, surveys coupled with interviews, focus groups. I'm more of a qualitative researcher. So um, everything that I produce has some kind of significant research project associated with it. And then um, what I hope to give to the, you know, research and design community is, you know, kind of a framework by which to do that for future design designs that they might want to do so instead of just i designed this because it's beautiful or i was inspired by trees you know it's like getting down to the users having you know conversations with the users about what they need and then translating that into beautiful inspired things you know so i think in those two places i've made some contributions yeah Cool. I definitely think so. Everybody, you know, stand on the shoulder of giants, right? So, like, you're just moving the needle forward of, um, you know, mentors and stuff that I've had um, in the past. But And I want to run with that theme of standing on the shoulders because there's a legacy piece here for you. You you trained here. Yes. Right? And you've already shared with some passion the influence, the mentors you had as an undergrad and a grad student here. And 
you know, if you were to think about the legacy you're leaving for students that are going out into the field or, or maybe the yeah. occasional one who, who's, you know, you pitched the master's degree and they go, exactly. yes, instead of no way. Right? I keep trying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, if you were to distill just a couple of key things you hope they leave with, we, we yeah. often use the metaphor in here, fingerprints that, that our students, oh, yeah. ours, our fingerprints, right? Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, things you hope that they take with them, regardless of what they end up doing professionally. Yeah, I, I don't know how to articulate this well, but I hope that I, when they leave here, they are thinking about design as a tool for social justice, for something that they feel passionate about. Because at the end of the day, you know, design can be looked at as frivolous, even though we get, I would passionately and respectfully disagree with that. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, giving them basically like the, the vocabulary, the confidence to be able to use their background knowledge in design to be able to pursue whatever they're passionate about. I think it's really important that they have that, you know, the students that I interact with have that kind of, I guess, confidence. I can't think of a better word, but they have the confidence when they leave here that my design isn't just, my degree isn't just to design pretty things, but what I do can actually make a big impact on the world. So I try to like drive that point home a lot in uh, my classes, but that would be one thing that I would hope, you know, they'd be like, Oh yeah, I had her as a professor and she was really great because, you know, yeah. we we looked at design differently than we had in any of our prior classes. The other thing that I try really, really hard <laughs> to do is to provide experiences for students in the classroom. And so um, by nature of what we do, right, we're not just in a lecture and it's not just me up at the podium with some kind of, you know, like invisible barrier between us. We try to make sure that we have really great like classroom experiences, yeah, yeah. whether it's show and tell, you know, bringing a lot of show and tell. We go to places like the Avenir to kind of look at things from a historical perspective. We bring in actual users that we're designing for with some startup monies. Thank you very much. We purchased a wheelchair. And so I had like a whole list of activities that, you know, small teams went over to the art building to take a picture of upcoming, you know, graphic design showcases or go over to the Gifford building and purchase a drink from the vending machine, you know, and yeah, give them a couple sure. of dollars. Because I think it's like in those like really experiential activities, that's where we're actually able to make kind of the most contributions in their day-to-day -day lives. So, yeah. So I think that I would hope that the other kind of thumbprint as far as a teaching perspective goes is that, oh yeah, that was a fun class. It was great. I learned so much, you know, and, and by doing, we kind of sneak in the learning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Well said. yeah. And in addition to the Avenir Museum of Design and Merchandising, what are some other great resources that, you know, the apparel and merchandising students have? You know, the Nancy Richardson Design Center, like all the amazing technology. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so the Nancy Richardson Design Center was, I mean, I would have come back to CSU regardless, but since that had happened, I was like all in, like this needs to happen because yeah. there, you know, another big kind of aspect of my research is, um, is incorporating advanced tech prototyping technologies. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so with the prototyping lab and the, the RDC, we're able to expose students to uh, laser cutting and 3D printing and digital fabric printing and you know screen printing is all there. And so um, being able to incorporate that into the classroom has been phenomenal. We actually added a course in the curriculum mm. where it's called prototyping and testing for product development. And we spend the entire semester in the Richardson Design Center. 
And, um, and so we do look at critically, like how can 3D printed plastic objects be applied and useful for apparel products? You know, how can we push that technology further? Like laser cutting is cool, but what are like the implications of degradating the fabric like that? And so like, we kind of look at it that perspective. And then by the time they get to capstone with me, um, you know, they've had that experience. So they can bring all of that kind of technological knowledge into their projects as, as they see fit. So that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another cool thing, if I can uh, share it, um, please do. is um, one of your, one of your questions asked about funding. I um that's a that's a good goal. Yes. <laughs> to get one of these big NSF and NIH grants. Yeah. But where I've had success is um, finding, um, you know, industry funding. And that has been from Cotton Incorporated. And so we've mm. been able to. Um, you know, fund student projects and basically support them in their capstone projects. And I, that helps me bring in speakers. It helps me bring in users. And it also helps me um, be, be able to supplement their material and prototyping costs. So at the end of the day, um, the funds that we get from organizations like this make it a level playing field. So nobody, no one person has to, you know, be like, oh, I wish I could do this if only I had this. And so like these funds basically make it possible that you know whatever you want to do whatever knowledge from past classes you want to bring in and, mm -hmm. and use um we're able to do that wow that's great yeah. yeah and that project we just got just got approved for another round so just Good. found out yesterday nice. congrats um thank you we also are able to provide um some judging and some financial awards at the end of the semester so um so there's a little bit of friendly competition it just elevates you know kind of the work that's going on in the class but right obviously we're still very collaborative and close so yeah <laughs> friendly exactly. yeah. that's yeah. awesome so that's been a cool thing that yeah. um started getting that line of funding at when i was at missouri and was able have been able to continue it here so that's okay. great yeah sure. yes yeah. i have to ask you what do you do for fun when you're not on campus oh. in, in the <laughs> Well, I mean, well, there's lots of fun things that have just happened. Um, nice. Just got married on Thursday. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> wow. And, um, we, Chad and I have been together since um, I don't, prior to Cornell. He was one of the main influence. Like, he was like, yes, I will support you and we will go there together. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, so, yeah, so we did, I guess... I don't know, you know, so we just, it's been 14 years. So we just decided that um, fall, you know, the first day of fall would be a great day to just finally. Like, <laughs> That's so, and then we, we've been, we bought a house this summer mm -hmm. and we're renovating a house. So in nice. 19, oh my goodness. Wow. 1976 split level fixer upper in oh. Loveland. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> so that's taking a ton of time. And then. We have um, Nelson, who is, he's a four-year-old um, cattle dog, Australian Shepherd mix. Oh, that's sweet. He's very intelligent, very active. And mm -hmm. so he takes a lot of... He takes you for walks? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then he lets us know when we're not taking him for enough walks. <laughs> like, oh, that's great. Yeah, so, you know, and then we, the summer's been a little bit of anomaly because we bought the house, so we've been working on that. But um, I'm a fisherwoman. Ooh, so tell me more. rod and reel, yeah, yeah. trout fishing. Nice. Um, when we lived outside of Colorado, it was harder to do, you know, some of those outdoor recreation things. So we'll do um, tent camping and yeah, we'll do great. fishing trips. So good. I'm pretty good at, you know, catching my fair share of the fish. So. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> 
usually we catch and release. So, yeah. so that's fun. But yeah. Do you have a favorite spot or is that top secret stuff? Uh, well, I'll tell you, but you have to be pretty committed to getting there. <laughs> it's a okay. seven mile hike. In. Oh, good. Um, this last time we did it, I was like, why are we doing this? You know, like, I don't know. Um, but it's Lake Percy. Mm-hmm. So it's up um, past Walden area. And then we actually go out to um, Buford, Colorado, which is west northwestern um, Colorado, about six hours from Fort Collins here. Mm. And it's beautiful out there. And there's not a lot of um, foot traffic, you know, not a lot of tourists get all the way out there. Yeah. So, yeah, there's yeah. pretty good fishing out there. So well, that's great. Yeah. Very cool. I've done that all my life. And, yep, continue to do it. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Two more questions okay. before we reluctantly let you go. <laughs> yeah. And it's related to the environmental context in which we find ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So the first one is, is CSU. And we we yeah. take this land-grant mission quite seriously. Right. We, it's right. not just lip service. And so I want you to share with our listeners, what, what does that mean for you, the land-grant mission and vision? Yeah, so for me, it's, um, and what I try to kind of embody is giving back. So at um, making sure that not the things that we do just don't stay in like the academic Um, community itself so there's been times where it's been more successful than others um, in my research I would say but um, you know making sure that we are connecting with community members um, and in my capacity so far a lot of it has been um, you know research and um, you know pulling people from the community to interview and participate in research and then following up with afterwards. And then that filters into classroom experiences where those same people come into the classroom and share their ideas with students and kind of go that route. Um, But I could see a day and, and we've done this in the past where, you know, basically honing in on some expertise that we have in the department and myself to like holding larger community facing panels about how to alter um this is an idea that you know is brewing is how to alter you know outdoor apparel to suit your needs if you have a mobility difference or caretaker for somebody who is um and so i think we could have some public facing workshops and things like that in the future where myself the graduate students um, whoever else wants to participate, even some of the undergraduate students yeah, in my sure, classes. Sure, yeah. yeah, we could, we could, you know, at least contribute in that capacity. So even if you can't buy the perfect ski jacket already for you, we can take this, you know, and alter it in such ways. Um, so it's your favorite ski jacket that performs how you need it. So that's awesome. That's neat. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that's what being at a land grant does. And then it also provides opportunity, you know, like, like we've talked about earlier about connecting with different um, entities across campus, you know, and then kind of linking into those networks. We're applying for different funding mechanisms to be able to um, align the different outdoor product, outdoor activities that we're doing here at CSU. um, And then hopefully linking in um, like the Northern Colorado community that, you know, like the local fish shops and the local, you know, gear shops and whatever about what they need as far as like product and promotion and communication and stuff like that goes. So um, with a couple of collaborators, we're trying to kind of basically like suss out, you know, the seedlings of sure. these types of projects as well. Wow. So that'll be super cool to just like bring in 
the guide shop, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Especially for you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was like, could we get you yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah. Priorities. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. The, the second layer, of course, is, yeah. is this eclectic and vibrant college that we yes, are lucky yes, enough yes, yes. To, to work in. So talk just a little bit about what it means to be a faculty member, not just at CSU, but in the yeah, college. Yeah, in the college. Sciences. So I think um I think it's interesting. Some people don't quite understand like the vibrancy of the College of Health and Human Sciences and different colleges like them across different um, institutions. So I I think the this is the perfect place for a person like me because at the end of the day, we're all people focused. And mm-hmm. so I think that's like the through line that connects all of our different departments within the colleges. We're really interested in, in helping people maintain their well-being, improve their well-being, whatever that might be. And so like my contributions to that are obviously in like the apparel side of things. But what that means is when we have that shared kind of interest and knowledge, um, we can come up with really creative ideas and and collaborate across campus. So um, the human performance, oh, I need, I don't know what it's called. Human human performance clinical Clinical research lab. lab. Um, I do some, see some things in the near future and, you know, using that like resource that is within our college, but not not necessarily designed to be able to test some of these products, you know, that now that we're producing. So, you know, I think basically at the end of the day, we're all interested in, in humans and how we perform and interact. And and so from an apparel perspective, you know, like what you put on your body every day, that's where like we kind of factor in. Yeah, so, that's cool. Very yeah, well said. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. Yeah. It did. Yes. As so often is the case, an hour disappears and where did it go? Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for the conversation. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you all for letting me kind of talk, get an opportunity to kind of talk about what's going on in our day-to-day lives. So it's kind of nice just to be able to sit down and reflect with an audience about what are the, what are the cool things that are happening, yeah. you know, in, in our everyday activities. So we love it. Yeah. Thank you. Another great interview is in the books. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health and Human Science Matters. Stay tuned for the next episode. It's on the way. In the meantime, go listen to our episodes from seasons one and two. And if you want to learn more about our College of Health and Human Sciences at CSU, go to www.chhs.colostate.edu.